Season 2, Episode 21, Creating Brave Spaces for Conversations About Racism. Welcome to Let's Talk Parks. This is a collaborative project that gives a voice to emerging leaders in parks and recreation. We believe every professional has the potential to make a difference in their organization and in their communities. These are the stories of the future leaders who are navigating their career and finding their purpose through Parks and Rec. Hey, Let's Talk Parks. This is Marissa Moravic. I had an amazing opportunity to talk to Tracy Crawford from the Northwest Special Recreation Association here in Illinois about having uncomfortable conversations about race in the workplace. I'm going to be extremely honest and say that I was nervous about this conversation. But as nervous as I was about this conversation, Tracy made it a comfortable, safe place to discuss this topic. There were some hard questions that I don't think even Tracy was prepared for, but she pushed through and answered them because this topic is so important. I hope our listeners use this episode as just one of the ways that they can move forward with these conversations and creating change. Tracy Crawford is the current executive director of the Northwest Special Recreation Association. Crawford earned a Bachelor of Science degree in therapeutic recreation from the University of Iowa. She is a certified therapeutic recreation specialist and a certified park and recreation professional. She is actively involved in professional organizations, having served in leadership roles with the Illinois Therapeutic Recreation Section of IPRA and NRPA. She is the 2008 past chairman on the IPRA Board of Directors and is also past president of the branch of NRPA that was dedicated to therapeutic recreation. She currently serves on the Illinois Park and Recreation Foundation Board and the IPRA Leadership Academy Board of Regents and the American Therapeutic Recreation Association at-large board member and on the Illinois Recreation Therapeutic Association Board as ITRS Liaison. Tracy has earned several awards, including IPRA Chairman's Award twice for her outstanding effort to make the Ethnic Minority Society a full-fledged section of IPRA and her dedication to the field through her continuous involvement on boards, committees, and task forces, which has raised the visibility of diversity issues in the State Professional Association. In 2013, Crawford was awarded the Daily Herald Business Ledger's Influential Women in Business Award, and in 2016, she was inducted into the American Academy for Park and Recreation Administration and currently sits on the board. Crawford is dedicated to promoting recreation for everyone and frequently speaks at state and national conferences about inclusion of individuals with disabilities into park and recreation programs. She has authored and co-authored inclusion articles published in the Illinois Park and Recreation Magazine, the Recreation Access in the 1990s publication, and the first chapter for inclusion through Human Kinetics, which was published in 2011. Hi, Let's Talk Parks. It's Marissa Moravic. Today, I'm joined by Tracy Crawford, Executive Director at the Northwest Special Recreation Association. Tracy is such a strong voice in our field, especially here in the suburbs of Chicago. I have seen Tracy speak on several occasions. I heard her speak at the Women in Leisure Services Conference in 2019, where there was a panel of female executive directors. And she also spoke when I was at the Vernon Hills Park District um, about diversity. The Let's Talk Parks team feels that this topic is very important. It needs to be addressed. And Tracy was the first person that came to my mind when this topic came up. 
The discussion isn't meant to be the only conversation that we have or that we want our listeners to have. I personally have taken steps to better educate myself about this topic by watching documentaries, reading books, speaking with other professionals in our field about this topic, and I know that I still have a long way to go. But we hope that this episode is one of many tools that you can use in your journey to taking action and understanding diversity. So Tracy, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. This is a topic, of course, that I am extremely passionate about. And any opportunity I get to kind of talk about uh, DEI issues, um, I like to jump aboard and, and, you know, contribute that time and volunteer my time because it does all start with a conversation. I couldn't agree more. So let's dive into our first topic, which is talking about the um, Illinois Park and Recreation Association Diversity Task Force and the creation of safe zone conversations about racism. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I would love to. Um, I am so proud of um, IPRA. Um, being a past chair um, of the IPRA board and of the association, um, nothing makes me prouder than when you're able to jump back in and get involved in something that is so critical right now. So let me talk to you a little bit about how that all got started. Um, I've been a part of IPRA for 29 years. I've been out of the field 29 years. And throughout those years, there's been several um, opportunities that IPRA has had or put forward for different committees or task force to talk about diversity. And to be quite honest, I don't think it was the right time. Not that they weren't all well-intentioned, but I'm not sure that people were ready to fully listen. Um, we did conference sessions, we did articles, we did just all kinds of different things, but we didn't get the traction that I think um, is happening now. So Debbie Trueblood, um, who's the executive director for IPRA, contacted a group of us about, oh gosh, I want to say almost a year ago, last fall, and thought, was, was forward thinking enough to say, you know, it is time for us to talk about what is IPRA going to do um, in the area of diversity? Um, she was really concerned about the diversity on the board representation, but also the diversity in park and recreation professionals um, that were being hired and, and a part-time staff and just that whole um, concept of are we diverse in our field and what are we doing here, here in Illinois to address that? So we got together and the task force was formed. Um, Orlethea Davenport, who is the superintendent of recreation at the Maywood Park District is the chair of the task force. And like I said, there's several members. So let's fast forward. So the task force was meeting monthly and we, we had our list of items that we were doing. We were looking at some research and looking at how could we address this topic of diversity and uh, how we could support the membership in tackling diversity type issues. Um, and then along came COVID. Um, and that, you know, we were all in shutdown, um, all working from our homes. And that just really, I believe, turned the world upside down. During that time, um, with us all being at home, everybody was tuned in on the news. And lo and behold, um, the George Floyd um, murder was uh, videoed. And it was put on our TV. You, you couldn't turn on the TV or any social media without that 
image and those images resonating and coming through and entering your homes and creating dialogue. And, and to be quite honest, um, some social unrest. Um, I know that I talked with my team um, at NWSRA and many of the different groups that I'm a part of, and I just realized that I wasn't okay. Um, I, I wasn't okay with, with the social unrest around racism that was happening across our nation. And I think when you get in that point, I'm the type of person that I had to figure out, how do you move forward? What can I do? I need action steps. And so after I kind of fed my soul and surrounded myself with family and, and other professionals who were um, African-American and just talked about how we were feeling. And I realized that as a group, we weren't feeling well. Um, myself and a gentleman by the name of Keith Wallace, who's the executive director at Lincoln Way Special Rec Association, decided that we would host conversations at our agency. And Keith kind of informally did it. And I more formally, um, having a larger agency, almost 45 staff, um, I hosted what I called at that time a safe zone conversation um, about racism. And I asked three or four of my friends who also happened to serve on the Diversity Leadership Task Force to help me. And so what we decided to do was host a discussion and then break my staff into breakout rooms where they would have a facilitator to help them kind of dive in or unpack is what we call it, certain issues around the topic of racism. Um, we discussed things like Black Lives Matter. We discussed, um, you know, the police defunding. We discussed the, the concept of the statues and, and where, where people felt. And really, it wasn't a right or wrong, but what I discovered, right or wrong, as far as people's responses, it was more important to me that we opened the floor to a conversation about so people could feel what the other person was feeling or or at least experience so um, there were different sides to every topic and uh, I, I'm not about and, and you have been a part of my trainings for diversity I, I don't tell you how you should feel I just ask that you tap into what you're feeling and then dig down into why you might be feeling that way um, and then explore how do your feelings and emotions and maybe those unconscious biases um, affect what you do, how you work, um, all of those things. So the diversity task force, then I went back to Debbie Trueblood and I said, hey, I did this thing called the safe zone with my staff and it was received very, very well. I'm wondering if other people would be interested. And Debbie thought, Debbie said to me, um, as she usually does, that's a great idea. So we went back to the task force and lo and behold, we started developing um, content to our discussions, a model for the safe zone conversations. Um, we now have six facilitators for racism. Um, out of that, we believe that there are other social equity um, topics that we wanted to discuss. So LGBTQ has is going to be unveiled. They're doing their um, test pilot safe zone conversations with two agencies within the next two weeks. And we'll be unveiling LGBTQ 
safe zones um, with a whole set of facilitators. And then Latinx is another one that we're working on. So um, really the whole purpose, the task force felt a way for agencies to host difficult topics, starting with racism. So do, um, does the diversity task force, is that related to like the um, conversations that the three-part series that was put together this summer by IPRA? Um, I think Latoya or Latanya Wilkins was our host. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, yes. I thought that yes. that was, yeah, that was an excellent offering. I took advantage of all three parts of the series. And I think it was during the second one that they encouraged us to reach out to someone um, who is mm -hmm. black, who we mm -hmm. may not know. Um, so I mm -hmm. actually tapped into my resources here at Let's Talk Parks. Um, and if any of our listeners remember a couple months ago, Anthony interviewed Brandon Ash. Um, so I reached out to mm -hmm. Brandon Ash and said, hey, I want to have a really uncomfortable conversation with you. So, um, and it was really well received. He and I talked, I want to say for like an hour or two. And I think it was an excellent opportunity for both of us to understand each other, to understand where each other is coming from. So kind of like what you did with your staff, creating that safe space mm -hmm. to have an uncomfortable conversation and to get the dialogue started and the ball rolling. So I think that is an yeah. awesome initiative by you and the other leaders of the Special Recreation Associations and Debbie Troopblood. Um, and that brings me, we're going to kind of go out of order with our topics because it kind of brings us into okay. one of our other topics. Um, many of our listeners are young professionals. What might their role be in creating mm -hmm. a safe zone look like? Like you as a director, it might have been a little easier for you to create that safe zone. You are the leader of that organization, but what if a younger professional wants to start that conversation? What does, what does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, let me pop back to the other thing that you mentioned, the, the three series, just so everyone knows and the listeners are aware. Um, again, my opportunity to really applaud IPRA, but the IPRF Foundation um, w was the group that paid for the three-pronged series, and that came out of the Diversity Task Force. So I sit on the IPRF Foundation, and we put aside funding for IPRA to pay for a membership-wide discussion about diversity that then led into the Safe Zone Conversations. So the task force was very much a part of that and helped to put together the panel of speakers um, as well as follow up with um, the actual Safe Zone Conversations. You should also know that if um, the Safe Zone Conversations are all done voluntarily, and any funding that we receive, so if we do one for an agency and if they pay for it, um, it is up to them how much they pay, and that is a donation that goes to the foundation to support that diversity education fund that helps to pay for all of those speakers that IPRA hosts. So just kind of letting you know how that circle is complete. That is awesome. Um, now I'm going to talk a little bit about um, how you, how any individual can dive into Safe Zone Conversations. A, a couple things I want to say with that. The Safe Zone Conversations is kind of what we call it, but really it's creating a brave space. And you said it beautifully when you picked up the phone and you called your friend and you said, hey, I want to have an uncomfortable conversation. 
that is where it starts. It might be with several colleagues. Um, so no matter what level you are, you reach out and you say, hey, I'd like to kind of talk about this. Um, would you mind talking to me about it? Um, what are your feelings on this? You can create a safe zone conversation with your family, with your neighbors, with you know your significant other, with your kids. What a great conversation to have because you know they are watching what's going on and, and responding to our reaction. So what are we telling our kids and how are we teaching them? Um, you can have it at your church. I mean, it just starts with the conversation. It can have as few or as many people as you're comfortable. And I really don't think it matters. Now, uh, let me go back. It does matter because as the executive director, I think um, my staff responded um, by saying, oh gosh, this is something I have to do. Um, even though I was like, you do not have to participate, but all of my staff did. Um, so you're right, there was a certain power and privilege there just in my role as executive director. But I think that you can start with, if you are on a, a team in your department, why not have that discussion with your team? Start with wherever you are and open the discussion. And we call it, you're creating a brave space. And that's a little bit different than a safe zone. A safe zone zone means, you know, you're going to come and whatever we say here is going to stay here and we're going to be professional in our conversation and we're going to try to respect each other. A brave space means we're accepting that we're just going to be uncomfortable and there's going to be some things said that we disagree with, um, but we're going to be uncomfortable. There's things that we're not going to want to face, things that, gosh, we can't even believe that we're saying out loud and we're asking, but being in that brave space means we're going to allow ourselves to sit in that uncomfortableness and just be and, and let that soak in because that's where the learning starts. We aren't always going to be comfortable with facing topics or discussions or having discussions, but if you're willing to create that brave space, just like you did with your friend, um, anybody can do it. Um, you just have to want to and be willing. And I think you did a great job of just describing the difference between a safe zone and a brave space. Um, I had kind of interchanged the two in our emails back and forth to each other. I kind of, I saw both a safe zone and a brave space as the same thing, but no, like you said, there's kind of a misconception of a safe zone of, I can say whatever I want, and mm -hmm. no, everyone has to deal with it. Everyone has to be mm -hmm. okay with it. No, <laughs> um, no, I'm pretty sure during the conversations with Brandon, there was things that each of us said that maybe we didn't agree with. Um, we were right. very respectful about it. Um, and we tried our best to see each other's perspective, but we come from very different backgrounds. I'm white, he's right. black. I'm in the right. Chicago area. He's on the East Coast, um, more mm -hmm. in the South. Um, so his mm -hmm. experiences are so much different from mine. You know, I told him, I wake mm -hmm. up and every Monday morning, the news reports on how many Chicagoans were shot. Um, whereas right. he's like, oh, I, that doesn't happen here. So right. just having an uncomfortable conversation and understanding each other's backgrounds was really awesome. And he and I plan on having more conversations. Time has just gotten away from us, but it was great to have that conversation with him, a calm conversation, an educated conversation where we were both mm -hmm. sitting down to hear each other, not to defend mm -hmm. ourselves, but to hear each other. Um, and through those conversations, you build trust. So the more you talk, 
the more he's going to start respecting you as a professional and as a person, you respect him. And that builds a trust, which is going to open the door to even more very authentic conversations where those walls come down and you can really get in the nitty gritty of this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. And then this is what he's feeling. This is what he's experiencing. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think like you've said earlier in this conversation, it's about getting those conversations started. So many of us are so scared and uncomfortable to start those conversations. Mm -hmm. But like you just said, I think the more that those conversations come up, the more comfortable we feel about them, the more we respect each other. Um, mm -hmm. And the more willing we are to have those conversations and break down barriers and understand each other. So I think mm. those are great ways to get started. Like I said, I don't think we are nearly close to resolving this issue. I don't think it'll mm. happen in our lifetime. Um, it's mm. taken, it's been around for hundreds of years. So hundreds of years. Yes, we, yes. We can work our butts off to do as much as we can. Um, mm -hmm. But it is going to be a continuous educating opportunity. It's constant, a constant conversation that we all need to be having. So um, I agree. And so you kind of covered one of our other topics. What, it, what does it mean to create a brave space for these conversations? So we'll kind of skip through that one. Um, but what are some misperceptions or mistakes that we make when we think about racism in the workplace? Um, I think that <laughs> this, is, this is a tricky question. Um, but I'm going to go there because I'm comfortable. Um, I think that we, there was the assumption that, and I found this with myself, um, that my colleagues just assumed because I put on a brave face that I was okay. Um, and that I put on that face and I was able to still continue to go into work and, and do work that I was okay with all the racism and that, that was happening because I didn't talk about it, that I was okay. So I think a misconception is that everyone feels okay with what's going on and that because no one's talking about it, um, they don't care, they don't want to talk about it, or they don't um, have any feelings or uh, uh, unrest about it. Um, I think that's where we tend to make a mistake. You know, we tend to go back to the, well, nobody's, nobody's brought it up. Um, nobody said anything about it. And sometimes as leaders, I think that those are discussions that we have to put our um, big girl and big boy panties on and just take the lead and say, hey, we know this is happening. Do you want to have a discussion about it? Um, and not wait for maybe that those individuals who may be most affected have to come forward. They may not be comfortable doing that. If they're not in a position of power and privilege, I can almost guarantee you they're not comfortable in doing that. Um, they're used to going to work and doing their job. Um, and, you know, believe it or not, we've dealt with what we call microaggressions um, for years. Um, things that are said that are, um, how do I say it, um, discriminatory at times, but are not always meant that way. In other words, you don't even know that it's a microaggression. Here's an example. Um, to say to someone who articulates themselves well, I've been told, you don't sound black, okay? That's a microaggression. Why are you categorizing? What does it mean? Because I, I am black. So you're saying that I'm not black because I articulate 
and communicate a certain way, that's a microaggression. Um, and it's basically taking a jab. It's like taking a small little jab, not with a hammer, pounding, but just like with the needle, you're just making a little jab. Um, and those are the type of things that many of us as Afro-Americans have learned to just deal with. So I think some of the misconceptions are that we're always okay and that we don't want to have these conversations. Um, we do, but we do want to have them in a safe place where we know that when we have them, that's not going to be held against us, um, no matter what level we are at that particular agency. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So that makes me think of a question that's totally off script. Um, I was okay. having a conversation with one of our other Let's Talk Parks guests a couple weeks ago, and I talked about how some leaders in our field are not taking action, and they right. felt that it was because we don't have it in our job descriptions. Um, we, I personally think we should have it in our job descriptions to make an effort to bridge those gaps. And just like we have sexual harassment and all of those other types of harassments in our um, policies and manuals, we should have something about discrimination against, you know, race, gender, um, mm -hmm orientation, things like that. I mean, it's kind of vaguely and gray put in our policy mm -hmm. manuals, but mm -hmm. no one comes right out and says, hey, there's things that you say that hurts other people. And like you said, it's not intentional. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like you said, when people say to you, well, you articulate yourself very well, you don't sound like you're black. Um, it's little things like that. And it's things that we need to be more aware of. I know that mm -hmm. I try to be more aware of those things. And thankfully mm -hmm. throughout my career, people have called to my attention when I've made little jabs. Um, mm -hmm. So it's okay mm -hmm. to call someone out and say, Hey, that was kind of racist. Um, yeah. You don't yeah. know until someone tells you. Um, right. Right. So it's okay to have those conversations. It's okay to be kind of blunt sometimes. I think mm -hmm. we we tiptoe around things and um, try to avoid hurting someone else's feelings at the expense of our own feelings. So like you said, you and your you know other Afro-American friends have kind of just gotten used to it. No, you shouldn't be used to it. Um, you should be calling people out, not in a mean way, but just a, hey, just to let you know in the future, you know, that's, that's a little offensive. So, um, right, right. I really like and I think that's about what that. we've been doing in, that's what has allowed us. Um, and, and, you know, here I am at 52 and I'm, I'm comfortable in my skin and I'm at a place in my professional life and career. And as a person that I am comfortable doing that. And I hope it helps open the door conversation like these for all of those um, individuals who are different, um, ethnicity, race, sexuality, whatever it may be, as they enter into the workplace and deal. So I am comfortable and, and the safe zone conversations that we've had, and we've had them all over um, the state of Illinois, we've started to point those things out. And I'm finding myself more comfortable and in, in just saying, you know, um, I know that's not what you meant, but here's how um, I took it at first. And then I had to realize, gosh, I know that he or she didn't mean it that way. So we're be I'm beginning to have those conversations. But back to what you were saying about it's not in our job description. Um, let's take a for instance you remember back in the day when we and some i hate to say this but in some people's policies it still says this but when we defined family it was 
a, a father, a mother, and children. Remember that? So mm -hmm. that was family. And so all of our benefits and everything would just say family. And now we're finding that the description of family is much broader. And so those agencies and professionals that are forward thinking um, changed, went back to their policy and said, hey, family could be two men, two women. Um, it could be uh, uh, an adult and several children. Um, it just looks different. So I think in time, we are going to find that those policies are going to change and look different. And they're for, you know, those new professionals, for every level professional that are comfortable in, in saying, hey, we need to make a change. And that's where the conversation starts. So after we leave those conversations, I love going back to the people that ask us to host them. And uh, I'm going to put Glenview on the spot. I hosted a safe zone conversation with the Glenview Park District. And Mike McCarty is just an incredible professional. And I recently talked to him and he said, Tracy, um, you will not believe all the stuff we're doing. We're looking at our policies. We're looking at procedures. We're talking about DEI issues on a board level. That is what we're talking about. The staff are talking about it. They've opened that door. And now it is not a whisper, have it behind closed doors discussion. We can have it in the open and we can discuss what we feel about that. And should we evaluate making some changes? That's where it starts. Those leaders that are courageous and willing to start making those changes and that will trickle down other ones will be like oh okay well do you have a do you have some language that we can use how are you doing that that's where it starts um you know and those job descriptions and all those things will change as we're embracing embracing um how we deal with diversity equity inclusion at all of our agencies yes um, I think when I was at Vernon Hills, again, referring back to Vernon Hills, I believe that something changed in our policy manual, like you said, um, mm -hmm. to reflect that it just had to be someone living in your household um, or yes. Yes. your partner. It didn't have to say that they were your husband or wife or spouse or anything like that. Um, in our policy manual, it stated that your partner could be included exactly. in your benefits and things like that. So, um, exactly. It shocks me on a daily basis when I hear about new legislations and um, laws and things like that, about how far behind we still are, um, that oh, yeah. Yeah. there are so many yeah. things that are still not equal. So I think this is kind of a call to action, everyone, to start doing your research, start educating mm -hmm. yourselves, um, find out, take a look at your policy manual and see if um, it states anything in there about, does it have to be a nuclear family? Does it have to be, mm -hmm. you know, spouse mm -hmm. and two children? Or can it be your partner? Um, I know so many families where grandma and grandpa are raising their grandchildren. So exactly. Yes. Does it have to be, and I know that we get into this when we get into like residency issues, when people want to come mm -hmm. take part of our programs and mm -hmm. we get a little skeptical when a 64 year old woman is signing up a four-year-old boy, um, we're like, mm -hmm. eh, do they really live with you? 99% um, mm -hmm. of the time, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, right, right. You don't want to pry into someone else's situation. And it is becoming more and more normal for grandparents to raise their grandchildren. So who am I mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. decide whether or not your family is the way it is? So um, exactly. 
I think we have to start looking at those things, like taking a look at our policy manuals, taking a look at our job descriptions, um, and making sure that we are being more inclusive. Mm -hmm. Taking a look at the images and our marketing material. Yes. Um, you know, so it's like when we put out our marketing material, does it truly reflect our communities or does it reflect the community that we serve the most? Does our programming reflect the community that we serve the most? Does it reflect all of the community? Um, yes. And then what are we doing if we aren't addressing all of the community? What action steps are we taking to get to know all aspects of our community and what their needs are. Yes, and that's why stock images drive me nuts. I mean, I know sometimes yes. that they're the only thing that we've got, but get out there and take pictures of your participants. It's part of many exactly. of our waivers. Take pictures mm -hmm. so that you can have a picture that represents your community. Um, take a look at mm -hmm. your demographics and see what is your community really made of. Um, and one of my initiatives when I came here to Mundelein was to get the um, Hispanic population more involved. Um, why aren't go. they participating yes. in our programs? Um, mm -hmm. So I have been taking a look at that. I've been trying to learn Spanish and then COVID hit, but um, educating yourself about the community that you serve and how are you going to better reach them? So it might just be as simple as a language barrier. It might be that they don't have access um, to your brochures or they may not have internet access as many of us have learned during the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. So take a look at your community and what barriers are there for them to participate in your programs and how can you remove those barriers? Exactly, exactly. Um, so we've gone totally off script. So I am going to, but this has been fun. So I like having these conversations. Um, so if you don't mind, Tracy, please summarize what you think are the three most important takeaways that you want our listeners to um, do something about, to take some action, to walk away with. Um, I think when it comes to, to really searching yourself and trying to figure out what you do know and don't know. So when, it, when you're talking about the area of racism, um, if you aren't educated on the topic, so a lot of times we just try to respond off of sound bites that we hear on the news or social media, heaven forbid, you're getting your news from there. But I would say educate yourself. IPRA has a great list of resources, everything from TED Talks to movies to um, articles to definitions that the diversity task force um, has put together. Um, we have it up there. So, so if you're interested and you really want to get down into these issues so that you are better educated on both sides, um, I say, number one, take the time to educate yourself. Really take a look in yourself and decide, you know, do I need to educate? First, you have to want to. So first, decide if you want to. Okay, and I believe that as humans, you always want to know and, and be able to present your best self and be able to communicate. I'm going to take a step further as park and recreation professionals. Isn't that what we do? So I think to understand how our community is feeling and dealing and, and understanding how they are reacting and responding to what's going on in the world is important. So it starts with education. Second, get involved, get involved, get involved, create those safe zone conversations with your friends, create those brave spaces, have tough conversations, reach out outside your own comfort zone and get to know someone of a different race that you can have 
uncomfortable conversations as you're working toward building a stronger understanding of the issues and the social equity issues um, that are facing different groups in the country. Um, lastly, if you're listening and you think that your agency or you think your organization would really benefit from someone else coming in or a group coming in and helping to start that conversation, reach out to IPRA and Debbie Trueblood and say, hey, we'd love to have a safe zone conversation here. It really is painless. We, we do the priding and the prodding and getting people to talk and we really do it in a, in a atmosphere that makes everyone feel as comfortable as possible, even though we are going to be talking about uncomfortable topics. So those are my three takeaways. Educate yourself, um, reach out to your friends and family and, and go outside of your comfort zone and meet someone who may be um, from another race and talk about uh, how they're feeling during this time. And then lastly, um, to do something in your organization, um, find out if they're willing to host a safe zone conversation to start the discussion where you work. And I can attest to, like you said, with IPRA, A, you came out and spoke to us at Vernon Hills. It was probably 2017 mm -hmm. or 2018. Um, Correct a great conversation. Um, and then we are so lucky here in Illinois that we have that three-part series available to us. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope mm -hmm. that many IPRA members took advantage of it. And I'm hoping mm -hmm. that maybe it's something that if NRPA isn't already doing it, that maybe they hop on board too and do it as well so that it's um, available on a national level, not just here in Illinois. So um, we have some great resources here in Illinois. Um, I can't say enough great things about our state associations. So um, one last question for you, Tracy, before we hop off this call is, what is the definition to you of raising the bar in parks and recreation? Oh, what's the definition of raising the bar? Um, striving for best practice and and then going a step beyond so i think that many of us we like to say that we provide quality high quality programs and services um, and that we're attempting best practice but i think to do that one of the things you have to do is make sure that your staff are at their very best and so to me that means getting certified that means keeping up with the certification and staying abreast of what the new things are happening in the field and constantly getting educated um, and then bringing that information back. It means broadening your understanding of what best practice is. It may start within your community, then it goes to your maybe a regional approach, then the state, but then branch outside, see what they're doing nationally, and then bring that back. Um, and then, you know, maybe they're doing such and such in Kentucky, and you're like, gosh, I wonder would that work here? So to me, raising the bar is always striving to improve always. Um, just never being okay with status quo. So um, I laugh with my staff and I say that I'm always three years ahead, you know, and, and they're functioning in, my admin team is functioning in the year, you know, making sure. So right now they're already thinking about summer and, you know, next summer and what we're doing and that kind of stuff. And um, my managers are functioning in that season. They're already at the end but you're always looking ahead. And as a leader, you wanna be at the helm you know, of, the, of the ship and you are looking out as far as you can see and trying to predict and analyze and, and prepare your agency for what lies ahead. 
um, and then you kind of toss it back to your team and then you get back out there and look again. So raising the bar to me means not being okay with what everybody else is doing and just saying, well, this is what everybody else is doing. And you know, COVID was an excellent time. You saw those agencies that kind of just froze. Um, you know, what happened, it was like, oh my goodness, what do we do, what do we do? And then you saw those agencies that were like, it seemed like overnight, you guys, Mundelein was one of them, coming up with incredible ways to continue doing programming and reaching their communities and, you know, up on the website and here's, you know, uh, coronavirus uh, uh, tools and addressing all of those things. And, and you really, those are some of those incredible leaders that took all that advice about change management and leadership and in this time of crisis have really stepped up. Um, so to me, I think um, it's all across the nation, but especially here in Illinois, I've seen so many leaders rise to that occasion. Not only have they raised the bar, I mean, they've like jumped over it. Um, so we're, we're constantly pushing ourselves and making sure that we're providing the best we can at any given time you know, to our participants and our families. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't be more proud to be at the park district that I'm at. Um, Margaret Resnick was amazing when this all hit. Um, yeah. I'm so sad she retired. Um, but we also have another great leader now, Ron Salski. Um, and he yeah. actually we just had a staff meeting the other day and talked about anticipatory leadership. And like you said, looking three mm -hmm. years out. Um, mm -hmm. it's okay mm -hmm. to try things and fail. So I love having leaders who are okay with failures. Um, yeah. it happens. We all do it. So yes, look three years out and see what might be trending. Um, like you said, COVID gave us a great opportunity to push ourselves to try new things. Um, everyone always said, oh, you can't do all this stuff online. The heck you can't. Um, you we're doing it. Yeah. You so, know, the new word is pivot. Uh, that's the new word you're going to hear is that agencies that were able to pivot during these times quickly pivot and adjust and move forward. So we're constantly pivoting and adjusting. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's not a straight line anymore. It's kind of pivot, turn the corner, pivot, turn the corner. It's more of that kind of image. Yes. And who better to do that than Parks and Rec professionals? So that's right. That's um, right. So thank you so much, Tracy. It was so much fun talking to you. And I think we had a really good conversation and hopefully a conversation that our listeners will really pay attention to, take to heart and take some action on. I hope so. I truly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you, Tracy. Okay. Um...